In this episode of the Attention on Prevention podcast, we sit down with Dr. Catherine Ayub, licensed psychologist and nurse practitioner from the Brazelton Touchpoint Center and the executive director of the Family Connections Project at Children's Hospital in Boston. Dr. Ayub is also an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Ayub describes how trauma experienced in childhood affects us emotionally and physically throughout our lives. Dr. Ayub explains the concept of positive parenting, how its practice helps reduce the adverse effects children feel as a result of experienced trauma, and provides resources for parents on how to learn more about positive parenting. So we invite you to take time to listen and learn about how we can work together to keep our babies safe from harm. Let's focus our attention on prevention. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our next podcast in our monthly Attention on Prevention series. I'm Ryan Steinbegel, Executive Director of the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome. And today I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Catherine Ayub. Uh, Dr. Ayub is a licensed psychologist and nurse practitioner who currently works at the Brazelton Touchpoint Center at Children's Hospital in Boston. Dr. Ayub also has an appointment as an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Ayub is the Executive Director of the Family Connections Project and Director of Research of the Children and Law Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Dr. Ayub. Thank you. It's really good to be here. So, Dr. Ayub, I, from what I understand, much of the work that you do at the uh, Brazelton Touchpoint Center is to look at the impact of, of childhood trauma and how that trauma affects children as they progress into a, adulthood. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Yes, actually, it's been part of my professional career to look and understand the consequences of early childhood trauma really across the lifespan. And so at the Brazelton Touchpoint Center in particular, we've really been interested in what trauma looks like in those youngest children and in their caregivers, their parents, their families, and what what really that means for them and what happens to them as they grow into adulthood. So that's really been our focus. Um, we're really interested in how child development and the way a child normally grows and trauma really come together to build the ways in which that child may think, what they feel, and how they act. And also very much to think about how parents and other people working with children can support them and minimize that trauma. So we also think about how this impacts families and what does this mean for families and actually entire communities that may have been seen as as oppressed or um, really communities that have struggled. So although it's not uh, a new concept by any means, because it's I think it's been going on and, and been talked about for some time, but it seems to be getting more attention is is the adverse childhood experiences study. And like I said, I know that that took place some time ago, but we're hearing more and more about it. Is that what we're talking about when we're talking about trauma? Are we talking about these these adverse childhood experiences, these ACEs? Um, oftentimes we are. The large categories of these childhood experiences, there are a couple of different categories, and they're among the ways that childhood trauma can occur. 
Um, there may children may be experiencing physical, sexual, or emotional abuse or neglect. That's one category. They may be subjected to individuals with mental illness. There may be violence in a family. So there are a number of ways that we can think about adverse childhood experiences as being related or, or ways in which trauma may occur. Children and families may also experience trauma from outside natural disasters or events. Um, I think we could think about the last year that we've gone through with, with the COVID-19 pandemic and the trauma that that has really inflicted on children and families and probably some children and families more than others. There are natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes, for example. So sometimes there are things that happen within the family and sometimes they're outside. When we tend to talk about ACEs, those tend to be more things that occur within an individual's life, particularly as a young child. So they tend to be more things within the family or within the community, or sometimes even within the child. If a child has had, for example, a significant physical disability, that might also place them at higher risk. And we know that those early experiences can place all of us at higher risk for later difficulties, both emotional and physical. And that's the reason that understanding these early negative experiences is so important, is really that we think about taking preventive action, both when they occur when children are younger and when families experience them, but also as children grow and parents grow in their parenting as their children grow, that they can also provide support and even preventive interventions so that the trauma to the child to the family is really reduced. And we see, you know, again, what we call resilience. So we're really looking for the experience of resilience with, with children who have a number of ACEs. Um, gotcha. We also know that, that the, the more, it's not just having a negative childhood experience but sometimes it's cumulative. So if many really difficult things happen to a young child all in a row, even though they may not be related, there's a cumulative effect. So the study that looked at ACEs really said, did you experience one of these things or two or three or four or five or six till they added them all up? And if you experience more of them, then that may place you at higher risk. What the ACEs study didn't do, but something that those of us who are looking and working with the notion of ACEs think about is it also has to do with the intensity and the magnitude of the trauma. So if a child, for example, loses a parent when they're very young, we know that that's really a very difficult experience for a child. That may be different than living through a tornado. I, I had the yeah. roof come off of my house with a tornado and none of us were injured. It, I can still remember vividly like people do with trauma, but that's very different. So trauma is really more this, trauma is really this, I guess, broader context of, of all types of negative experiences that, that children so. may experience is where ACEs is a little bit more specific in terms of things that occur 
within the family, but both trauma, whether it's just general trauma or specifically adverse childhood experiences, you, you mentioned these things have, can have lasting impacts uh, or yeah. affect children as they grow into adulthood. What, what kinds of things are we, we talking about? What are some of the impacts that, that trauma has on children as they grow into adulthood? We can see a lot of different ways in which trauma can impact children. First of all, it can impact both immediately when it occurs and then in some other ways as they grow past the trauma. It can really affect their emotions, for example, and some children will become very quiet. One of the extremes of that are even children who don't speak and don't speak for a while or become very withdrawn. Other children may become very moody and and almost anything sets them off or they may do what we call startle or, you know, jump when they when they hear a loud noise or they have some recall. Many people who have experienced trauma, including fairly young children, will also have recollections of the trauma. And sometimes that occurs when you're least expecting it. So it can disrupt your your learning. Let's say you're sitting in, in class and you're doing your math problems and all of a sudden you recall what it was like when you witnessed let's say violence in your home or being severely punished by your parent and and that disrupts learning so emotions and then thinking and my second example was is how it might disrupt thinking it also can really change the way even young children understand the world and this is something that that I learned with my colleague, Kurt Fisher, and we did number studies with young children uh, to understand how they saw the world. Did they see it as a positive place to be or a negative place to be? And naturally, uh, by the way, we are put together as human beings to see the world as positive. And we tend to take the negative things that happen to us. We remember them, but we kind of put them in a drawer behind us close the drawer. We can open it anytime when we need to remember, but we see things positively. When we looked at children who had experienced multiple episodes of child maltreatment, both physical abuse and neglect, before they were six, we found that their perceptions of the world or the way that they saw everyday situations went from primarily positive to really being negative. And we know that in older children and adults, we see this, it's called a worldview. And so when you approach your everyday life thinking something terrible is going to happen to you, that's a negative worldview. And it colors everything that we see. So it's another way that our thinking and our feelings can be changed with, with trauma. So does the severity of the trauma... You know, especially looking at something like child abuse, obviously, right? Does that right. increase the likelihood in terms of how that'll affect you uh, as you get into adulthood? So, so for example, if uh, the more severe the trauma, the more likely you are to have issues, or is there any um, correlation between severity and? Yeah, there's a correlation between severity and also chronicity. And the age at which it occurs, the trauma occurs. So there, you can put those three pieces together. Yes, if you experience serious, let's talk about child abuse. If you experience serious child abuse as a, as a child, 
and it we were really hospitalized, that can really have an impact. But you have to put that together with other factors. So did this happen to you once or did this happen to you many times? So when we do some of the uh, child abuse research that I've been involved in, we often ask, you know, when did this happen? How long did it go on? And how serious is each incident? And you have to take all three of those things and put them together. Children who experience very serious, repeated child abuse, let's again, use that as an example, are likely considering everything, are at higher risk of having continued problems as they grow. And those problems may very much have to do with these changes in feeling and thinking and acting that then lead to ways that they actually, and the way they understand the world, that lead them to, to really, in many ways, disrupt their relationships with other people. That's one of the key responses is that I had a colleague who's written about trauma who often says that trauma really disrupts our building of relationships and having trust with others. And that's something, and we see that kind of manifested in a number of different ways. It may increase a number of mental health difficulties, may make us more prone to depression, to anxiety, to isolation and withdrawal, or to, you know, reacting in, in ways where we feel like we have to control everything because trauma, uh, what happens in the traumatic experience is you feel totally helpless and you've lost control. So regaining control and mastering your environment is really important. Then there are a whole bunch of physical problems. We know that increased stress and anxiety and trauma can actually uh, make us more susceptible to heart disease. There's an interesting study, even that Trauma during pregnancy can lead to things like increased asthma. Uh, and we suspect that there probably are multiple cardiovascular and other kinds of physical problems that result. And they often don't, a lot of times we don't see the physical problems right away, but it's almost like this is wearing us down as we grow and we age. And so that Um, There are some studies where there may even be an increased susceptibility to certain types of cancer, for example. So there's this host of entities. The final kind of factor that's very important in, in thinking about trauma and children is that we all come into the world with a certain set of genes and, and our genes include both strengths and some vulnerabilities. And there are ways that early trauma actually turns on certain genes and that would not have been triggered if we hadn't been traumatized. So if my genes, I have one that would give me a tendency to be anxious. If that gets turned on because I experienced early trauma, the anxiety I experienced across my life may be very different than if I'd had, I'd lived in a different environment with that genetic makeup. Yeah. So I, you know, so, I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you about that, you know, cause you hear sometimes people 
either wonder aloud or to themselves, they'll say something like, you know, my, my brother or my sister, for example, is they're so calm and collected under pressure, but you know, I'm not like that. I'm more anxious and reserved or quiet. So it sounds like childhood trauma may or, or may not play a role in, in how those sort of anxieties or reservations actually manifest as you get older. Absolutely, because you're bringing your temperament or what, what we call, think of as temperament. In other words, your genetic makeup, whether you're calm, whether you you're tend to be anxious, whether you tend to be a person who stands back and watches first or you jump right into a situation. Those are the kinds of things that are often genetic. And then you layer on top of that what happens to you in your early life and when, and then what continues to happen to you, by the way. So it isn't just what happens to you in your early life and that's kind of fixed forever. Mm -hmm. Every moment that we live, we grow and we're either continuing to experience those traumatic symptoms if we've been traumatized or we have worked to try to figure out how to be resilient in the face of those. So there's always room for prevention. There's always room for intervention. But again, yeah. the earlier, the better, as, as we know. Yeah, I think that's an important point. You know, I, I think that there's probably a lot of parents who, are, who will be listening and, and they may be thinking to themselves, you know, I, I've got a child who's, who's gone through some, some traumatic experiences or, or, or had some adverse experiences. And, and they're probably asking themselves those questions like, you know, are they going to have issues later in life? But more importantly, they're probably wondering, are there things that they can do as a parent to, I guess, reduce the negative impacts that these traumatic experiences will have on their child as they, as they grow up? Are there things that parents can do to sort of, I guess, counteract those negative experiences? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that, that, parents can do. And, and they're the kinds of things that, that many parents do already. A lot of it has to do with, with what we call positive parenting. The first step is really to kind of understand your child and who your child is in the context of the traumatic experience. And one of the ways that, that I often like to describe this is that our reactions to a traumatic event or your child's reaction to a traumatic event is adaptive. In other words, they were coping with the trauma and they may still be using some of the ways they coped with the trauma to cope with everyday life. And understanding that plus trying to understand your child's temperament, what they bring to any interaction, and then your relationship with them, you put those three together and that's understanding if you're wondering and you're puzzled or you don't understand your child's behavior, the first step is to try to get a sense. So the first step in thinking about parenting in this context is, do I understand what's going on with my child? And there, it may be helpful to talk to your pediatrician, your family practitioner, you know, whoever your primary healthcare person is. And there may be a need to see a mental health professional to try to understand what's going on. The second step is like, what do you do? And there are everyday things around positive parenting. You know, I think of some work that we just did through the office of Head Start and talked about five healing gestures around positive parenting. So the first one is to celebrate and make sure that you compliment and, and applaud efforts. 
There are some longitudinal studies on how do you develop resilience in the face of trauma. And what those studies tell us is that children don't have to excel at a lot of things, but they need at least one thing. Mm -hmm. So if you as a parent can support one thing, you know, if your child likes numbers, if your child likes to draw, if your child is a good baseball player, you know, whatever it is, if you can value that, the second healing gesture is comfort and to really try to stay calm and patient, but not to totally cover your feelings because you may say, well, my child never sees me upset. They don't know I'm upset. Trust me. I, I think they probably do. So being mm -hmm. honest with children at their level, but also providing them with, with comfort and patience, listen and really think about their passions collaborate with them, which really means ask them for their opinions and be with them, talk to them and help inspire them with new ideas or maybe new ways of thinking. So those are, you know, some people can think of this in lots of different ways, but those are some of the components around positive parenting. And it's also something that parents don't have to do by themselves. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of supports out there depending on a parent's individual interest in learning more or what they think their child needs and, and what the child is saying they need. Yeah, I, I wanted to, it's a good segue into where I wanted to ask you next. I mean, there's everything you've talked about in terms of positive parenting. I mean, on the surface, it sounds relatively straightforward and, and easy to implement, but there's there's many parents out there struggling with, you know, a variety yeah. of issues from income insecurity or, you know, addictions or, or just a variety of things, right? And are there places or resources that parents specifically can turn to that can help them in those regards? There are a number of resources. And I think one of the most difficult things is kind of to figure out what those resources are and get connected. So I can mention a number of them. But I would urge parents to, to keep asking and keep looking. Again, one of the first places to go is to your, your healthcare provider because they have resources and places that they can send you. So in those, any of us who have our babies in the hospital or even if you have a midwife at home, you need to have your baby seen seven days later. So you're in there as soon as that baby's born. A second really critical place is we do have a national network of home visitors now, and these are individuals who will meet you in your home. You don't have to leave. And oftentimes they work with parents, often through pregnancy, but they can come in anytime, when, particularly before children go to public school when they're young. And they are wonderful resources both to talk to and to understand uh, what's going on, but also they understand their communities very well. Another resource is actually childcare. We know now that, again, in the last 20 years, many, many women are in the workforce and so that they're looking for help with caring for their children when they're working or when dad's working, you know, both parents are working or in a single parent family, the mom or dad who has ever taken care of the child needs to work. And those centers can be resources. Programs like Head Start and Early Head Start 
which particularly are available to families. There is an income limit, but they're wonderful programs because they're what we call two-generational programs. And they have folks who not only will work with children in classrooms, but they have a whole section of support for parents. And there are what we call family service professionals that will ask to partner with you as a parent and ask you what your goals are and help you think about what you want, both for yourself and for your children. So it's not just what does your child need, but it's like, if you really want to get ahead and you didn't, you know, you didn't finish high school, how do you figure out how to, how to go get a high school degree? How do I interview to get a job? Where do I look for job training? How do I think about the work that I'm in and what do I want to do? Those particular early care programs often also offer parenting classes. And Mm -hmm. that's another way, whether they're offered through your community or through an early childhood program or through your healthcare facility. And parenting classes have really grown. The, the, The offering of parenting classes is something that's really grown tremendously in the last five to eight years. There are all kinds of parenting classes that are focused on different things. There are some, if your child has a special difficulty, whether it's something like a learning disability or a physical disability, or if you're struggling because your child is challenging to you to manage or you're struggling with discipline, then those, there are also special parenting what we call parenting curricula or parenting classes. So that's yet another option for parents. And then again, if, if you're particularly worried about trauma, there are a number of individuals that actually specialize in working with families and young children who um, have experienced trauma. So if you think that that's a particular need, that that's possible as well. Uh, public school systems are another place where people can there the guidance counselors there often can can help provide a resource within the school and also think about referrals yeah. outside of the school. So I'm sure there's yeah. probably someone I've forgotten. Oh, there, but, there, I mean, um, there really is a a wide ranging list of organizations, individuals that are available regardless of, of your situation, your income level that, that people can turn to. The last question I wanted to ask you, Dr. Ayob, is now you're, you're no longer a child, you're an adult, you're a parent yourself, you're listening to this and, and you looking back, reflecting on your childhood, for example, and, and realize yeah. that there were some, some traumas that you experienced that are continuing to impact you now as you are a, a parent yourself. What can you as a parent, are there places that you can turn to as a parent to go to get help to sort of deal with these lasting impacts that you might be experiencing from traumas that you had? I certainly think that they are. And one of the things that's really interesting is when when we first become parents and then we're parents a second and a third time often, that's when we really think the most about what our own childhood were like. And we start thinking about how we were treated. And some people say, well, you know, my parents did it, so I'm going to do it. Or other people say, I'm never going to do that because, you know, that's what my mom did or my dad did or what my grandma did. And 
again, our brains are amazing things because that's kind of naturally set up to have us remember those things. If we begin to remember some really negative things, that is often a signal that it might be time for us to explore those things and to think about them and to step back and think about how they're still in many ways controlling or at least organizing our lives. Because you want your life to be free to experience what you're experiencing now in the fullest way. So again, there are a number of folks who have expertise with trauma and different kinds of trauma. If the trauma that you experienced happened within your family, whether you witnessed violence or you experienced it yourself or neglect, there certainly are people within communities. And that's where I would, you know, you can again, go through your, your own physician and ask, but there certainly are trauma centers and also individuals who can help with uh, that kind of treatment. And that's probably the time to really get involved in that treatment. One of the things that we recommend is that you get connected with a counselor, that you see them and talk to them for as many sessions as you feel is helpful. But then you've made a connection. So if there's another time where you have another, what we would call a developmental life change, you know, when your child has to go to school, sometimes that's when parents say, oh, I, you know, I'm thinking about this again, or when my child goes to college, or when I'm struggling with a teenager who I don't quite know how to connect with them, or they're doing some things that I didn't, and really I'm afraid for them because yeah. the things that I did, you know, yeah. just could have really gotten me in trouble. Exactly. So um, those are the times to have someone to talk to. And again, sometimes it's it's less formal. Sometimes it's someone in the church that you attend or it's your pastor. Sometimes it's, you know, counselors that come in all different sizes and shapes. And, yeah, and, absolutely. But uh, that's when I would reach out to someone. And there are trained professionals that really understand how to work with trauma. It's really and, just and there are also some groups of people that that are there are also some there's also some group work yeah. that's available and specific kinds of treatment. Some are shorter term, some are longer term. Some are addressed how you can change your thinking and they focus on that primarily and others how you can think about really modulating your feelings. And and you can have some choices around, you know, what feels best to you to to engage in in order to to feel better. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of progress that can be made by one just to simply acknowledging that you did experience trauma, but then talking about it, like you said, with a professional or somebody who can can listen and you can get those feelings out there and, and allow yourself yeah. to feel that and 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 move past those. So Dr. Abe, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this. This has been absolutely terrific. And, you know, we so appreciate the work that uh, that you're doing at the Brazelton Touchpoint Center to not just understand the effects of trauma, but, you know, prevent the lasting impacts that, that trauma has on children as they grow into adulthood. So again, thank you so much for, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, I I really appreciate this opportunity and and just thinking about all those parents and their children out there and wishing everyone the best. Thank you so much. Thank you.